Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. Anxiety Sisters, and welcome to season six of The Spin Cycle, where we talk about everything you've ever wanted to know about anxiety, but we're too anxious to ask. Mags, can you believe we're starting our sixth season? I know, it's so crazy. I remember when you said to me, I want to try to do a podcast, and I was like, what's a podcast? (laughs) And you were like, well, if it's anything technological, then you're on your own. (laughs) Exactly. And you have been. (laughs) That's not true. We started our first season back in 2017. Do you remember how many listeners we had? Like 50 or 100? I don't know. I think we had less than 100 listeners. And now, do you know how many listeners we have now? No. Almost 70,000. Wow. Yeah. We are really thrilled that the response to the spin cycle has been so wonderful. And so we spent the summer making all kinds of exciting changes and plans for the podcast. And we're really, really excited about this season because first of all, we are doubling, more than doubling the number of episodes we're releasing. We just have some really, really cool episodes coming up. And uh, we have also some uh, some other new plans. Mags, tell them what else we're going to do. Well, we're actually going to have stories from the trenches. So we're going to have anxiety sisters come on and be interviewed by us so that we can all learn from each other. Mm -hmm. So we made it through the summer, Mags. I know. I know. The summer is not the favorite season of many anxiety sisters. And, you know, I, I actually posted, they're doing some really new, interesting research about how for certain people with certain types of anxiety and depression, there is a seasonal affective disorder in the summer. Really? Well, I believe that because I am absolutely much more anxious in all that heat and humidity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) the weather is definitely a factor for so many people. Well, Mags, you look like the cat that ate the canary because you're practically jumping to share some very big news with our audience. Um, I am. I am so excited about this one. You know that. You know that this has been like my most exciting feeling. I'm so excited about the retreat we have coming up. Woohoo! We haven't done one since 2019. And this one, it's going to be on December 1st through 4th. So it's the evening of December 1st, which is a Thursday. Thursday. And then we'll go through around lunch on the Sunday. It's going to be in Connecticut at a lovely, lovely small place. It's only going to be 14 anxiety sisters there. And us, yeah, so 16, but like, yes, that's true. We're anxiety sisters too. We're really um, committed to making it a very safe space, a place where you can get a lot of support, a lot of information and just a lot of fun too. And we know for so many people, it's really, really hard to get yourself there to do this kind of thing, but we promise we are gonna be with you every step of the way. And nobody will ever be made to feel uncomfortable or left out. We're really here to help you every step of the way. 
And we've done these retreats before the pandemic and they were absolutely the most fun. I mean, it was sort of like sleepaway camp for anxiety sufferers. Yes, that's what someone <laughs> described it as, sleepaway camp for anxiety sufferers. If you're interested in finding out more about it, you can email us at anxietysisters at gmail.com or you can go right to our website. It's on top of the homepage. You can just click on it and you'll see our packet. We have already sold a few spots. Right. So if something that's interesting to you, don't wait too long. Yeah. Because in the past, we've always sold out. Right. And we are committed to keeping it very small because we just want it to be a very intimate experience. Yeah. We did one with 22 once and it was great, but we find that smaller is better. And especially post pandemic, you know, when we're all not used to being in bigger groups, I think a smaller group is really nice right now. It's a group, but it's not so big, but you get your own room and your own bathroom. So there's that. That's really (laughs) important. Yes. Well, you know me, I don't tend to go to a place where I can't have my own room and bathroom. Although I think you and I are sharing a room this time that might Cause me to have some panic. No, no, I think we're not. So another announcement. By popular demand, our Tuesday night book group is coming back. So we're going to do brand new webinars starting Tuesday, September 13th at 7 p.m. All you have to do is go to our Facebook page and you'll see us. You don't have to even do anything. You can just listen and lurk. But if you want to participate, we love that too. We leave plenty of time for questions at the end. And of course, we're going to have lots of new information and new research. Yep. Very excited. So that's it. That's all our announcements. Well, now I'm exhausted. (laughs) We still have a show to get to. So let's do this. Sure. I'm so sorry. I'm missing the first page. So you want to start out and I will find it. I lost her first page of our episode notes. Yep. All right. Here I go. Today's episode is what we've been calling our monthly BFF cast, where we are our own guests. So a couple of middle-aged anxiety experts and sufferers sharing stories, research, and of course, lots of laughs. Our topic for this episode is actually pretty relevant to Mags right now. Max, how's your anxiety been this summer? You saw me. It's been off the charts. <laughs> and uh, is there a particular reason you think that's been the case? Yes. Well, for me this summer, you know, I just sent my oldest child off to college and it was getting ready and getting him ready. And so many things made it a very, very anxiety ridden time. I can attest to the fact that Max is very anxious because I've never in 35 years, never heard her nag her children. And we were out to dinner one night this summer and she was nagging the heck out of her kids. I'm like, oh my God, she must be so anxious because that is not his thing. She's not a nag. No, I'm not an egg. And I I had this whole thing and I told Abby about it at the beginning of the summer where I was like, okay, I have to do everything to make him ready right now. Like all the stuff that I let go and didn't worry about for 19 years, I felt had to be done. But what do we learn about that now in hindsight, now that he is in college and so far so good, right? So now that he's in college, what do you think about that whole idea about preparing somebody that last year and making sure that you get everything that you missed in the 19 years? I mean, what, what do you think about that now? Oh, it was completely ridiculous. And I knew it at the time and I still couldn't help myself. 
because I think we've been hearing from a lot of parents who feel the exact same way. So it definitely, I think it's something that we all feel. And I certainly remember feeling it with my kids, that notion of, oh my God, I hope I've prepared them well enough. Right, right. So we're really going to be talking about launching, but the interesting thing about launching your child is it's not just for college, right? No, definitely. We hear it from people who are sending their kids to kindergarten, even to first grade, like post-pandemic daycare. We hear it from people whose kids are in their 20s and dealing with jobs or any major transition in their lives, even in their 30s, you know, or 40s. So that's what we're talking about today. Launch pad anxiety and launching, by the way you might be doing it too. If you're going back to work or school yourself after a hiatus, like either a summer break or a remote break because of the pandemic, then you may be experiencing some self-launching anxiety. So this podcast is for everyone who's going through transition. Right, right. So let me ask you something, Abs, because you're, I'm so close to this right now, but why do you think when we're, we're doing this launching, why does this anxiety exist? Uh, Well, I would say that we know that all anxiety exists whenever there's uncertainty and lack of control, right? When we're we're entering uncharted territory that tends to provoke anxiety, especially for those of us who are programmed to, we're wired that way, right? We're wired anxiously. So uncertainty will particularly spike that. But I think that when it comes to launching our children into some kind of an endeavor, I think that that the parenting piece of it really complicates it because, you know, not only do we do our own catastrophizing and what ifs for our own self, but we're also doing it for our kids. And there's also this ridiculous number of details to manage. And there's this change of routine, not just for you, but for your child. And then there's also these cultural expectations that are floating around that, oh, you're supposed to do this very easily and smoothly. And on the third day, your kid's supposed to call you and say, I'm having the best time of my life. I'm totally prepared and I'm already getting A's. Right. And I just think that's so unrealistic. I mean, that's not been my experience with three children having gone through college at this point. And I, I haven't met too many people whose experience has been that they've dropped off their kid and it's gone smoothly. I mean, for most of us, there's been plenty of bumps. Right. That, and that's as true in kindergarten or first grade as it is in college. You know what I mean? That that you see all these other kids like walking into the school and they're totally fine and, you know, look totally together. And then your child is crying in the car and you can't get them out of the car. Or, or you're crying in the car. Or you're, you can- <laughs> definitely you're crying in the car. But your child, you know, you're crying after you're trying to push your child out of the car as well. So it's not just for college, although that's what I've just experienced, but I think it's all these different times during that transition with kids. I was just working with an anxiety sister the other day whose son has started kindergarten and she's having an awful time of it. And, you know, it's interesting. She said to me, I feel like such a failure. And I think that's a real problem when it comes to issues of launching our children into any endeavor, whether it be sending them to day camp or sending them to, you know, start a new school, you know, if they're going to middle school after elementary school, or any time 
there's something new. I mean, the stakes feel just so high, right? We want our kids to be successful and not only because we want them to be happy and feel safe and secure, but we also don't want to feel like we screwed anything up. Right. Because we tend to all believe that everything that happens to our kids is our fault. We do. We do. Which is, I think, what's new in certain ways in our generation is that we tend to take on their struggles. We did not do something well. Right. Like my parents wouldn't think that. They'd be like, I don't know what's wrong with Abby. But yeah. You know. yeah. They'd be like, yeah, exactly. You were terrific. I don't know what went wrong with her. <laughs> Let's talk about what I think is the most important. And I know you think this too, is the most yes. important discussion that we need to have about parenting anxiety in general and launching anxiety in particular. And that is that we're dealing with something called the superstorm of anxiety, we call it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is it? Well, it's basically when, when our child has anxiety and many of us who are anxiety parents have anxiety children. So our child has anxiety and then we have anxiety about their anxiety, or we're having our own anxiety about our own anxiety. And the two kind of mesh and merge and create this superstorm that's bigger than the sum of the parts. So <laughs> this, when they mesh and merge, they become even bigger than our individual or their individual anxiety. Yeah, it becomes this anxiety superstorm. And then it hovers yep. over everything and it infects the entire household. Yes. Right. Even even innocent bystanders, you know, like other siblings or visiting relatives or neighbors can get sucked into the vortex of this anxiety superstorm. And and these anxieties continue to feed off each other. Right. The child's anxiety feeds off the parent's anxiety, which feeds off the child's anxiety, which feeds off the you know, there's no it's no way to know what started where. Right. And part of what happens, too, is that when we're reacting both to our own anxiety and our child's anxiety is you know, like you saw me this summer, I started responding in ways that are not typical for me and not particularly helpful for my child. And it certainly wasn't helpful for me. And if you're listening to this and thinking, oh no, I'm guilty of that. It's my fault. I've created a superstorm. Can we just say we all have? There's oh, no such thing as parenting without anxiety superstorms. And it doesn't have to just revolve around launching your child into a new endeavor. I mean, you can have an anxiety superstorm with a toddler. That moment where your child's tantrum in public becomes your tantrum. Oh, totally. <laughs> We've all done that with toddlers, all of us. With, and with all children. I mean, yes. it's just teenagers. Oh my God. There's no such thing as raising teenagers without anxiety superstorms. Just, it's not yeah. even possible. Yeah, I just want to make sure that everyone who's listening knows exactly what we're talking about in case some of this doesn't sound familiar yet. Some behaviors that we have noticed with ourselves and our own children and then also with other members of the Anxiety Sisterhood been crying, mm-hmm. irritating, arguing over everything, sleeplessness or too much sleeping, headaches, stomach aches, obsessive thinking, refusal to participate in even the smallest things. Either asking for too much help or refusal to take any. Yeah. And there's also some kids really seek reassurance almost obsessively. Some resist any reassurance and react really badly. And then there's tantrums. On both the child and the parent's part. So we have this super storm and there are some things that we can do that are helpful for yes. ourselves and our child, right? What's our big one that you kept saying to me all summer that I kind of ignored, but you kept saying to me all summer? 
I kept saying it to you because you're the one who taught me about it. Yeah. <laughs> we often talk about in parenting in general, but particularly with parenting anxious kids, that in order to manage that anxiety superstorm that could be brewing, we have got to learn how to separate our anxiety from our child's anxiety. And this is not an intellectual process. It can be. I mean, certainly I try to make everything intellectual. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. that's helpful. But certainly you can try to think about rationally ways to separate yourself. But I think evolutionarily, our, our parenting genes make us very protective. Mm-hmm. And tends to put us in survival mode pretty quickly. You know what I mean? When we think about our child, anything happening to them or them feeling any kind of pain or struggle, we immediately go into fight or flight. That's just very, that's a very typical reaction for any parent or caregiver. And all of you who are longtime anxiety sisters know that when we go into fight or flight, we have less access to that rational thinking. So what do we do when we're, when we're doing this? We talk about taking a pause. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be a deep breath or two. It could be taking time for a visualization or a guided meditation or go for a walk or a soak in your tub or petting your dog, or even as simple as saying to the child on the phone, honey, can I call you back in 15 minutes? Because that pause, that 15 minutes is going to allow you to get yourself out of that fight, flight, or freeze a bit and allow you to have some access to the part of your brain that helps you compartmentalize and think about consequences and make more rational decisions. So what your job is as an anxiety sufferer is to figure out what kinds of things could be pauses for you. Mm -hmm. And this, and this also could be, you know, we talk about spin kits all the time. This is a great time to use our spin kit because the pause might be taking a strong mint or spraying some lavender or, you know, doing a little bit of your crochet or, or looking at pictures that make you feel centered. Or a cool cloth on your neck. I mean, anything that can distract you. And the reason we're talking about physical things is because once we're in fight, fight, or flees, that into fight, fight, or flees, I'm going to do that the whole season, aren't I? We're in fight, fight, you know. Once once you're in fleas, you're in trouble. I'm always saying fleas, I guess, because I have cats. But anyway, um, once you're in the three F's, it's really, really hard to access any kind of rational thoughts. So we need to really rely on physically soothing ourselves or distracting ourselves. So a spin kit's a great idea, any kind of artistic endeavor, but, but the idea is ahead of time mm-hmm. to figure out some things you can do. You know, we believe in prepping for anxiety, right? We believe in saying, I'm an anxiety sister, so anxiety is going to show up and how will I be prepared for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think The very first piece is separate your anxiety from your child's anxiety because they are different. Yes. Yes. And that's, they definitely are different. And the only way that we can possibly really help them is if we are able to do that pause and separate a little, or else we're just adding to the superstorm. What's our next recommendation? Our next recommendation is to... Focus on your child's strengths in any situation, 
Because what happens in our culture is we're often given feedback about all our child's problems or our child's deficits. And we notice our child's deficits, just like we notice our own deficits. And sometimes we're quick to overlook the strengths. Right. And we're often in situations with some of our children where the deficits are pointed out to us a lot, especially if you have any kind of child with a special challenge or a special need, you will hear a lot about their deficits. (laughs) Or if you have social media. Yes. So one of the things I really like to do is make a list. I actually make a physical list. You know, I write it out when I'm feeling really anxious. Okay. What does my child do really well? And it doesn't have to be like, oh, they're good at, you know, basketball. It can be like, I I know that my child is very kind. I know that my child asks for help. When the going gets tough, my child hangs in there. Yeah. Take the small things like the creativity, likes to tell stories, draws well, whatever it is, take anything that your child has as a strength and just write them down. You'll start to see that they can use those strengths in ways to cope with their challenges. And we also have to recognize, just like we said, we have to separate our anxiety from our children's anxiety. We also have to separate our strengths because our children's strengths differ often from our own. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things my kids do really well that I don't do well and vice versa. You know, sometimes we conflate Mm -hmm. children's strengths and weaknesses with our own. I think that what happens when we do the conflating of the strengths, when we think, oh, I'm not good at this. So they're not good at this. We also are doing this thing where we're thinking they're having the exact same experience we believe we would have in that situation. Yeah. I mean, I know this sounds really elementary, but I think that the best thing that a parent can do on a daily basis is remind him or herself that you are different from your child, that your life journey and experience is different from your child's and that your child is entitled to that different experience and that you may not always have better tools for that experience because your child lives in a different context than you did. Right. And you might not always want the same things that your child wants. Do you know what I mean? Your child may not have the same vision for each. And I I mean, in each stage of their life, different things may be important to you. Right. But I think it was a really a big turning point in my own parenting experience when I realized that my kids had to have their own lives and their own struggles that were different from mine and that I had to make room for that that I had to make room for them to have different experiences than I did and to react to things differently than I did. I mean, it it was really hard. I think it's really hard with the child that in some ways shares a lot of traits with you. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes we have a child who is, is just really different from us. And it's, it's in a certain sense, it's sometimes a little bit easier to understand, but then we have a child who somehow has a lot of traits that we have. And so then it can get really confusing. It's much harder to separate. It's hard to separate. But I think one of the ways we say is writing down those strengths and really thinking about them. It can really help you separate from your child. Yes. Okay. So number three on our list is don't get caught up in the minutia. Mm -hmm. We have so many people 
calling us, emailing us, messaging us about, they're worried about their kids' laundry and showering and being able to cook an egg and all these other things. And we've just said the same thing over and over, which is three things are important. Your child is eating, your child is sleeping, and your child has made a connection with someone or something. Mm -hmm. The rest is going to somehow iron itself out. That's as true in any phase of life. Do you know what I mean? Like your child comes home and their backpack's a mess or they don't know what their homework is or they're feeling upset or sad. But as long as you know like that the basics are there, that they're able to eat, they're able to get some rest. And then that connection piece, the rest can be worked on. And if you have a child who has really a lot of trouble ironing out those things, because some of us do, then those are all things they can find support around that you can set up support for them. Helping your child and yourself focus on bigger picture stuff, especially in the beginning of these transitions, is really helpful. We're not suggesting that you never care about your child's grades or whether they participate in school or any of those things. We're just saying that launching period and that beginning Allow yourself to rise above that minutia just a bit and see big picture because very often when the big picture stuff is good, then the little picture stuff catches up, you know, and and, and a lot of times people miss the forest for the trees, right? They're so busy worried about the little stuff that they're missing the big stuff. Like, oh, my child has not left his or her dorm room the whole week. Right. Way more important, uh, something to notice than if he or she has done the laundry. Right. But you know, for these launch periods, know that as long as the bases are being met, everything's okay. Yeah. And there, there will be crying. Yeah. You know, there will be crying. Even if it's just you, there will definitely be crying. Exactly. They'll definitely be crying. Crying is okay. It's a human thing to do. It's actually good for your body. And it's, and it's letting our children experience their full range of emotions. Right. Even if it's painful for us to hear them. Yes. Yes. Okay. What else? What's our next tip, Mags? Um, I don't, what is our next tip? Because I, you lost the second page of, oh, I don't know our next tip. The following two words, not yet. Right. Instead <laughs> of, you know, I'll never get this right. It's I'm working on it. Not yet. You and I make each other say those two words all the time. We correct each other constantly because really in life, other than death, let's just say almost nothing's irreparable, right? Mistakes can be fixed. I'm not saying without inconvenience, but mistakes can be fixed and they're going to happen because humans, we make errors, right? And if you expect this launching process to be error-free, that is not realistic or even human. Even though our culture says that, you know, everyone should be sailing along on a problem-free sea, it's bull. That is not the way human beings function. No, and, and that's where that's where things like social media get so confusing, even for us adults, in that we look at our feeds often and it looks like all the other parents, I don't know, their kids are smiling and happy in every stage. And it, that's where it does get very confusing. Yes. Yes. You, you remember, remember that people's Facebook and Instagram are by definition, their highlight reels, right? They're not going to put up there a picture of their child throwing a temper tantrum. That is not going to show up on, it might on TikTok actually, but it's not going to show up on Instagram, or Facebook, right? On Facebook, you're going to see kids who've gotten into their number one college choice and you're going to see kids, you know, 
baking the perfect cake for their parents' birthday and all these things that your kids won't do. Yes. Yeah. So part of looking at your kids' strengths is encouraging those. And for some of the other stuff saying not yet, it's okay. And teach your child to say the words not yet. What we say shapes our experience. In fact, the research says that. Human beings' experience is defined by how we talk about it. So when we say things like not yet very gently to ourselves or to our children and teach them to say that to themselves and to others, we're really creating space for growth. We're creating space for the possibility that we are going to get it right. Right. As opposed to saying, you know, I can't do this. I'm such an idiot. Right. It's a fixed mindset, right? That's, that acts like you, well, you were born not being able to do this and you'll die not being able to do this. And it doesn't make room for the possibility that we can grow and learn and change. We can. And, and alongside this, like sort of what we're talking about is, is to resist that urge to compare your child either to your other children or to other children that you know, because one size doesn't fit at all. Every journey is different and that will take a lot of pressure off you. You know, as an adult, you know, that there were some times in life that you sailed through that someone else struggled with and other times where you really struggled and someone else sailed through that time. So take the pressure off for you and your child to get everything right because our journeys all look different and right looks different for each child. Okay, let's talk about self-compassion. We always come back to that. Tell yourself out loud and your child that this is a challenging time, but as in the case with all challenges, you're going to figure out how to navigate this because this is life. Life is full of challenges and you figure out how to navigate them and get to the other side. And so be really compassionate with yourself and teach your child self-compassion. And have your child say out loud, this is going to be challenging. This is going to be hard. I might struggle. This might be really difficult. Like in other words, even ahead of time, Preparing that child for, yeah, transitions can be really hard. Yep. And it's okay to expect a few bumps and to say, yeah, you know, every day might not be a great day next week. <laughs> it might be first, my first week on the new job. I might feel, you know, really uncomfortable at different points in the day and even at night. I might not sleep as well this week. In other words, preparing your child and yourself for the typical challenges of life. You know, the more you can sort of give them that really compassionate tone rather than like, oh, well, if you had woken up on time, it wouldn't have been a crummy day because then you would have gotten to class on time or blah, 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 which we all do sometimes. But if you can, if you can kind of hold off and really, really, you know, you've taken a pause so that you can find the compassion, that's how your child will start to speak to themselves more and more. And the yeah. thing that we know about self-compassion is that it takes us out of fight, flight, or freeze. And then we can all make more rational decisions. We could start to problem solve. We are not taught to speak with self-compassion when we're struggling, but it is so transformative when we can do it. Mm. Our final idea is probably one of the most important ones, right? Yes. You are always saying this to me, Abby. Well, I'm always saying it to myself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Remind yourself and your child 
that discomfort is part of the human experience and know this. And I really need to know this. And I have to tell myself this all the time because I have been known to hover a bit in my children's lives and maybe helicopter slightly close to their heads. But doing everything in your power to prevent your child from feeling discomfort actually robs the child of the ability to overcome challenges. You know, because getting through hard stuff, that's what's empowering and meaningful. Mm-hmm. That enables us to feel like we could take on the next challenge. Right. And there have been times where I have disempowered my kids. I just couldn't stand the idea of, you know, none of us can. We can't stand the idea of our kids feeling sad or crying or having a difficult time. We want to protect them from that. We want to make it better for them. But you know what? It's not even possible. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter how good a helicopter parent you think you are, there's just no way to keep your child in a bubble and prevent him or her from feeling any suffering. It just can't happen. And once we accept that, once we accept that, you know what, not only is it not even possible to protect our child from discomfort, but it's not even a good idea. It's not going to help them and it's going to rob them. It's going to take something away from them of their own empowerment and their own ability to create meaning from struggle. Yes. Yes. And that is also where, when we've paused, we can say to them, honestly, you know what? I know this feels uncomfortable or hard or sad, or it's anxiety provoking. I know it is. And I get that, but that's part of life. You know, the one thing I did do on the way to driving my son to college was he was getting very, very anxious in the car. And he said, I think that I made a mistake. I don't think I want to do this. I think I want to go someplace very close to home. What I said to him is, yeah, I understand how uncomfortable you are. And I understand that this is your anxiety speaking. And Abs always says your anxiety can come along in the car, but it can't drive. So, you know, really think about that. I understand the anxiety is not comfortable, but do we want it to drive? You know, and I think that's so much with feeling really bad about something, which is like, yeah, you know, I get it. The way that you're feeling is not comfortable, but sometimes we're going to feel uncomfortable in our lives. You know, that's part of, that's part of living. Yeah. And for those of you who have read our book, The Anxiety Sisters Survival Guide, you know that we believe that the three cornerstones of anxiety management, as well as happiness, are acceptance, agency, and connection. And the way you get to acceptance and agency in terms of parenting and in teaching your children to get to acceptance and agency is to allow them that journey that includes struggle. And, and I think it's also the way you get to true connection, because when we can take that pause and we know it's hard, we can connect to them as individuals, not as us in different form, but as an individual themselves. So we can really spend time listening to them and supporting them and helping them, but as for what they need and want, not for what we need and want. Right. Right. That is true connection with your child. And, and ironically, in order to truly connect with your child, you have to separate. Yes. That is our first show of season six. You can join our free community on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on our website at www.anxietysisters.com. 
You can also email us at absandmags at anxietysisters.com or direct message us on any social media channels and we will respond. It may take a few days because it's just the two of us, but we will absolutely get back to you. We promise. If you're enjoying this podcast, can you please let us know by leaving a review? Because these reviews really matter in these bizarre ways that, you know, are all about computer algorithms and what gets shown to people. We are really focusing on making our show bigger and better than ever. And you can help us do that. You can. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, Anxiety Sisters, don't go it alone. You've been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.